What happens when we love our enemies? You know, I suppose you're way more spiritual than I am, but this is loving an enemy is the opposite. You couldn't get further away from who I am than to tell me to love somebody that's hurting me and wants me to die a slow, miserable death. Now, an enemy is not necessarily a person. We always think of an enemy. I know you got this in your head, an enemy, a person that hates you or wants your demise, but it's really bigger than that. An enemy can be cancer. An enemy can be financial collapse. An enemy can be a divorce. A wife or a husband doesn't want to stay with a, or an unfaithful husband or wife either way. Or, or an enemy can be a child uh, that turns away from God and says they're an atheist or agnostic or worse maybe than that, they're homosexual, transgender. It's happening. Uh, those, are, those are enemies of a Christian soul. Jesus speaks about it. I, uh, I'm going to say it's one of the hardest places of all Scripture uh, where he talks about it. Can you see that okay? Got, turn this next light off for me, this next button. There you go. Because I don't need it. That's good. Um, Jesus talks about it. At some of the basis levels of our instinct, we fight those things and oppose those things, whether they be people, events, disease, that try to hurt us and damage us. When somebody hits me, I'll be truthful with you, I have a mindless reaction to hit them back. I, I boxed some as a kid. My dad was a boxer, professional. I mean, he won the Golden Glove in 1939, taught us to use speed bag, taught us to box. We boxed some in school. I just had a guy I haven't talked to in 50 years contact me on Facebook, and he said, are you the one that was the boxer in school? That's the way he remembered me, of all the things you could remember me by. He said, I said, yes, I'm the one. But I warned my wife when I got married. We got married, you know, I was, she was 18, I was 19. And I warned her, never hit me. See, a lot of people think abuse of women, hitting women. And I, and I was taught not to hit a woman. I was taught. Were you all taught not to hit a woman? I was taught not to hit a woman. But I think we need to teach our women not to hit a man unless you want to get a black eye because it'll be a response, not a thinking thing. For people that defend themselves, you hit me, I've hit you already before I thought about it. It's just a natural reaction to defend yourself. It's one of the basis survival instincts we have is to defend ourselves from our enemies. It's reactionary. It's instinctive. It's thoughtless. Yet Jesus nails us between the eyes with his teaching in Matthew chapter, this passage here, Matthew chapter 5, 43. Well, we're going to go all the way to 47, I believe. I think, I mean, you know, I put a sign out there years ago that says, preaching that would knock your socks off. And some people came to me and said, preacher, it's a little arrogant, isn't it? And I said, I'm bragging on the Bible. I'm not bragging on the preacher. I'm bragging on what the preacher's preaching about. I'm bragging on what the, what the Bible says. If a preacher is a Bible-preaching man, 
Notice I said man, because you can't have a Bible-preaching woman. But if you have a Bible-preaching man, and he preaches the Bible, it will knock your socks off, just like this passage tonight. It just really will. It'll oppose you. It'll, it'll throw you upside down in your thinking. It'll change the way you think about life. It'll change your value system. It'll knock your socks off. I know when I read this the first time I heard it, uh, it reeled me backwards upon my, especially upon my first and second reading of it. You almost can't believe your ears, or if I may say your eye, even my short ear. It's okay, you can call me Igor, it's all right. An initial reaction. So let's read it. Let's read it here. I got it up here. We'll see if we can make it happen. Jesus said, you have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Why? For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? I want you to notice that thing about reward. What reward have ye? But not even the publicans the same. Publicans the lowest form of life. He was an IRS uh, collector that worked for the Roman government, the oppressor, and collected more taxes than what was due because anything above what was due was his profit. And some of them just raped and pillaged their people um, of money. And they were, they were rich, they were powerful, they were supported by the military of the Roman government, just like IRS is also. Um, you want to go to jail? Real quick, uh, do tax fraud. Do tax fraud. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. So he's using in the in the mind of the of the of the first century listener. He said, "You, you despise a publican. He's a traitor to the country. He's raping and pillaging his own people. He's as low as a human being can get to another human being." He says. You're no better than they are. That hurt my feelings. Of all that Jesus could have said in this small dissertation that he did in chapter 5, 6, and 7, in verse 46 maybe surprises me of the most. He says, what reward have you? If you just do good to those people who help you, if you just reward the folks who are for you, in other words, you're for the people that are for you and against the people that are against you. If you're, if you're that way, then you're no better than the heathen. You're no better than the publican. Because that's exactly what he does. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. You help me, I help you. Reciprocation of being nice to me, you being nice to me now. This, this passage helps us in so many directions, I can't even tell you. Number one, it helps you to have peace in a church. People sometimes will come and say, well, there's somebody in church is being not nice to them, mean to them, whatever. You ought to just, 
But after I'm getting done, you just kick your heels together and say, glory to God, hallelujah. Um, but he says it here. So why did Jesus say these words? Powerful. Well, I believe the secret to the whole thing is found in this passage right here in Psalm chapter 23, verse 5. David said, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. You're very familiar with this. Jesus said, Don't pray, if I, if I may just paraphrase here, don't pray that your enemies die a slow, miserable death. Don't pray that you don't have enemies. God, keep me from having enemies. Don't pray that. Don't, don't pray some demise will come upon your enemies. In fact, if I may add this in, don't even be too upset at all if God allows enemies to be raised up around you. Now, I'm not talking about just people, right? I'm talking about diseases, calamities, troubles that you would view as a negative thing because it's in their presence that God says, I'm going to prepare a table for you. It's where the enemies are in the presence of thine enemies. I'll prepare, prepare a table before me. So to have that table, now what's a table? That's a banquet table. That's a table... Uh, God prepares. So even though our reaction naturally to our enemies is to destroy them or to diminish them or to demean them or to denigrate them or disparage them because they wanted our demise, the most unusual thing in the world could be said by Jesus in this passage to do good to them, to bless them, be happy for them, if I may summarize it. He knocks their socks off, knocks us off our feet, wants us to do something extremely unnatural. If I may call it strange, this is just strange. This is just, what? But it's what he wants us to do. He has a plan for us that you, you and I don't understand in the big picture. So he tells us, to encourage, if it were, and, and by the way, doing good, blessing, not cursing, encouraging our enemies and help them, help them. Because it is in the presence of your enemies that God is going to come and help you. That's where he's going to come and help you. A lot of people talk about the three Hebrew boys. They say, oh, them boys, oh, if I'd have been there. If I'd have been the three Hebrew boys. They got to walk with the Son of God. They got to probably walk with Jesus. But even if it wasn't Jesus, whoever it was was real good. I'll not fight over any of that. Whoever they walked with was real good, real good. I'd just like to walk in the fire and see what it was like. I, I'd like to get in. I, I can't get her. You can't get 10 feet from fire without smelling like smoke. And yet they came out and they couldn't smell a hint of smoke on them. I'd have liked to see Nebuchadnezzar's face. After he was so cocky about nobody, nobody contradicts me. Nobody changes my word. What, is, what God is it that will change the king's word? 
the God of heaven, the God whom we serve. We really don't have to worry too much about this government and what's going on and about the horror of it all. Because the God we serve is bigger than all of them. Just like he was for the three Hebrew boys. But the three Hebrew boys had to go into the fire before they got the Son of God to walk with them. And you're not any better than they are. And I'm not any better either. God takes us. We say, oh, that God would be close to us. Oh, that I could walk with God and have a fellowship and sense His presence. Man, who wouldn't want to sense the, the manifest presence of God? Oh, when the presence of God comes by you, whoo, man, it goosebumps on you. But you're not getting the table prepared unless the enemies are there. By the way, if I may say this, they don't get to eat of the table you get. They just get to look. They're there. They don't get it. They don't get to eat of it. They get to look at it. And so they get to see you rejoicing in the midst of trouble. And I think this is so important for our testimony to the world that there is a God that's alive and it's real. Is that we can rejoice in the very presence of, of persecution or trouble. Now, it looks like there's a storm coming. It looks like there's a storm coming. You all get it? Looks like there's a storm coming. This is our opportunity to have God prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. Whoa, glory to God. Hallelujah. The Equality Act is the Equality Act is a tool of persecution. I'll be one of the first to go to jail. Of course, all my deacons will go with me, right? I have a bailout on a deacon board. But I mean, you know, the first sermon I preach after the Equality Act is passed is the horror and abomination of homosexuality because it's the Bible. But, brother, when God comes by and prepares a banquet table for you, it's the best of the best. I mean, everything on that table is delicious. I mean, everything is tender. Everything is sweet. Everything is gorgeous to look upon. Food's not just for eating. It's for looking at. They call it presentation, man. When you do a restaurant, it's not just throw the, throw the, throw the food up on the table. It's presented to where it looks good, too. There's nothing better looking than I know of than a ribeye cooking on the grill. I don't know what about it. It's got some sort of beauty about it. You throw a big old ribeye, a hot ribeye with steam coming off of it, been cooked just right up on your plate with a, with a baked potato uh, fixed just the way you like it and, and some uh, salad the way you like it and, and something to drink that you like and you get to sit down at that and eat that food and it's just the best taste and meat you have ever had put on your lips and why the potato just loaded i like loaded potato you know and put everything you own on it and and it's uh, and by the way if it's not hot i won't eat it we'll throw it to the dogs i go to the restaurant and i tell the waitress give me a baked potato all the way and it it has to be hot if you give it to me cold it's got to go back i'm, I'm spoiled i know it I don't run for light. I don't fight it. But when God cooks a ribeye for you, how, what do you, how do you think it's going to be? 
When God makes a baked potato for you, how do you think it's going to be? Now prepare us the table huh, for me in the very presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can't beat what God serves up. You can't, you can't outdo it. But you must be willing to have it served up in the presence of your enemies and not gripe about it, complain about it, or suck your thumb like you're somehow being put upon by God because this came about in your life and it didn't come about in so-and-so's life or didn't happen to whatever, you know, how we do. You know how we do. Comparing. The Bible says don't compare yourself with any others, not wise. Your path's different than my path. And that's why it's crazy to try to compare your life with somebody else's life. You're as unique as a snowflake. God's not going to deal with you like he deals with me. Or your wife or your name. My wife's healthy. Hadn't had, I've been to the hospital last time. The hospital practically was when she birthed Troy. I've done all the hospital going for our family. But if I may say, she hasn't had the table spread for her like I have. Where can you get this table? In the presence of the enemies. It was, it was in the wilderness that God prepared a table for his people. I like old Harold Seiler in a sermon that's just phenomenal called Can God? Where he says, God can prepare a table in the wilderness, the most unlikely place You'd ever go a harsh place. That's where God prepares a table in a a wilderness. That's where you eat angels' food, (laughs) which is like Krispy Kreme and doesn't add any weight on you. That's where you get quail. That's where you get water out of deep depths. Beautiful, clean water. It's in the wilderness that God comes. It's consistent with the rest of the teaching of Scripture. And it's beautiful in some degree that your enemy cannot participate in this table. They can just observe. They can wonder. How you can smile and laugh and joke and maybe even shout glory to God, hallelujah, in the midst of the fire. That's because 
I have to eat what you know not of. Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples at the well? But Master, you haven't eaten. He says, oh, I have food to eat that you don't know about. He's talking about the table. He's talking about the table. Even Jesus, in the midst of being to that well in Samaria, he had that old girl get saved. By the way, that girl was the first person he actually admitted he was the Messiah. She had five husbands and was living with a guy. Not your ideal candidate, you wouldn't think. But Jesus revealed himself to that old girl, first one, straight up and down. He said, I'm the Messiah, straight up and down. Of course, I'm reading all through the New Testament saying, tell them, Lord, tell them. Tell them who you are. Who's your father? And he wouldn't tell them. Where'd you get your power? He wouldn't tell them. I said, tell him, Lord, tell them. They'll believe if you tell them. No, I guess they wouldn't. He said, who, where did John the Baptist come from? And they wouldn't tell him. He said, well, you don't tell me, I don't tell you. Their hearts were wicked. Let me go one more passage here and we're done. We're to love, bless, do good, and pray for those things which hurt you. I told the story a number of times in here. I have to tell it again. When God sent an enemy by me in 1992, I, I became senior pastor of Gospel Baptist Church after being assistant pastor for about 12 years. Um, I was 40 years old. And I needed, I needed all the help I could get. I felt like the world was laying on my shoulders. Preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you just don't understand how you just don't understand how much, how heavy that is. You are absolutely, totally dependent upon God. I said, God, this is going to be the, short, the shortest pastorate has been in this whole, I'll be here because I got about a year's worth of stuff to say and after that I don't got nothing else to say. I don't have a thing. I can tell them where to go fishing, but they're not going to come to church for that. Oh, some will. I said, Lord, I got a year's worth of work, and I'm, I ate that up Sunday four times. I was preaching five times a week because I was doing chapel at school. And uh, you just give out and give out and give out and give out, and pretty soon you're like, Brother Crichton knows exactly what I'm talking about. What's going to happen when I run out? I kept going to God and said, God, I'm running out. I got nothing. I've said everything. Help me. God said, okay, I'll help you. But he helped me in a way I never dreamed of. Give me migraines. Made my load heavier. And 
I said, man, I'm going to have to step down. I can't do it. I just put one foot in front of the other, literally living day by day. And a year passed, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, seven years, 20 years. Still having migraines. Still wondering, will I make it another year? And then I said, Lord, I want to get to know you better. I want that table. I don't want to live a ho-hum, average life. I want to know you. Philippians 3.10. Whom to know is life everlasting. He said, okay. I go, great. And I got gout. I've never had pain like that in my life. I thought I knew pain from the, the migraines, but never never did I realize how bad the gout was. It was a gift from God. Because in the midst of mine enemies, he prepared a table. And I got to dine. with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he taught me face to face, as it were. He says, you don't have to talk theory. I'm going to let you have some experience. And I went another year and another year And recently, I go into the dermatologist, as, I, as you know, and I said, I want you to look at this thing on my ear. It looks funny. Comes back a week later, the surgeon called me a week after doing a biopsy. You know it's bad when a surgeon, it's about a 40-year-old woman, cries when they tell you. She said, ah, she had to stop a few times as she wept. So you have melanoma. It's much worse than anything you've ever had in the past. So she said, it's going to have to be pretty radical treatment. I said, what, what is that about? So what's God doing? He's preparing me a table in the wilderness. He's preparing me a table in the midst of my enemies. So thank you, God, for gout. Thank you, God, for migraines. Thank you, God, for melanoma. Thank you, God. For the table that only comes when they come.
and we can dine. And by the way, it's a very personal meal. You don't get to die, you don't get to come to my table. I don't get to go to your table. Each of you got your table. That God will come to you and be with you. You say, let me give you one more. That's a frivolous words of a preacher. Just a little longer. John 10, 10 says, the thief, this is the definition of your, of your enemy. Jesus said it, John 10. The thief, that's your enemy. Come not but to steal and to kill and destroy. But when the enemy comes, who's right behind him? Look at it. Who's right behind him? I am come that they may have life and that they may have it. Not your average ho-hum life, but you're going to have it more abundant. Because I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And God will, I don't know what news is coming your way. I know I talked to uh, some people in our church here who have just received some extremely serious and harsh news. And I got, I almost got thinking about it like, if they only knew how good it's going to be, they could start right out saying, God, thank you for that. Because I know you're going to come. Why do I know he's going to come? Because he said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's why. I just don't believe he can lie. In fact, the Bible says God cannot do a few things. I know one thing, he cannot lie. I know he cannot deny himself. <laughs> You say, God can do anything. He cannot lie and cannot deny himself. And he will come and fill your cup. And when you lift your cup up to God, he don't just all worry about if it gets on you. He fills that thing up and it just overflows. Now, you can choose to miss this. You can miss this tonight. You can miss it. All you got to do is when your enemy comes, get bitter. Get angry at God. How many people I've met through the years are angry at God? God disappointed me. God did what I didn't expect him to do. Well, just get used to that. It's not a God cut to fit your little box. God's coming from places that you never dreamt of. That's the exciting part about being a Christian. Woo! You don't know where God's coming from next. But I know one thing. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. And so many other verses that extol the goodness of God and his righteousness. And so you can drive him away. And it's through unbelief, by not having faith to believe that he will come. 
you get mad, you get bitter. It talks about chastisement in Hebrews 12, and one of the real most serious warnings of all the Bible says, don't get bitter. Because if you do, you're going to defile yourself and many others around you. You're not going to go down alone. You're going to take people with you. And you're not going to succeed alone. You're going to take some people with you. I like Paul when he was on the ship. He said, Lord, give me me and all those who are sail with me. I want them all. <laughs> the angel of the Lord came to God and said, I gave, I gave you your health and everybody with you. Not a hair in their head is going to be hurt. Man, it was a good thing. It just takes simple childlike faith just to believe God. Hunker down. Now, I'm not saying there's, I'm not saying weeping doesn't last for a night. But joy comes in the morning. I'm not saying you're not going to cry some. Not going to have sorrow of spirit. When you do that, you walk the road of Gethsemane. You understand something of our forefathers. There's a health and wealth gospel, which is a ruling and prevailing philosophy in Christianity today. I said, it's the face of Christianity is health and wealth. Joel Osteen and all that like. It's false teaching. It's not Bible. If you read the Bible much at all, you know it ain't right. Well, I, there, was a, there was one, a doctor that I was talking to that is kind of health and wealth. And I said, Doc... How did Jesus te treat his, uh, his 12 precious, hand-picked apostles, his beloved? Now, 12 meaning Paul. How did he treat them? Like he knew his Bible. He looked at me and goes, mm. I said, they died horrible, torturesome deaths, except for one, Apostle John. Paul, we know exactly what he went through. It was documented in the Bible, but church history documents the rest of them. And it's not pretty. Now, if he treated his own beloved that way, and it was good because God doesn't do nothing bad. Then you don't think you think you're gonna miss that? You think you're going to have a life of roses? I like the song, Must I be carried through the clouds on flowery beds of ease with others? Must I be carried while others fought to win the prize and sailed through stormy seas? No, no, no. You won't be, and I won't be. Now prepare us a table before me, David said. He understood that. In the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Father, help us tonight somehow to get it. Understanding it is important. Having childlike faith is important. Hanging on when you see no reason why is important. Trusting you when nothing makes any sense is important. Help us just to trust you with blind faith. And you'll come through. And then when the table's laid out, help us to just jump in and go for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, 
or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.